Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony, a news magazine show featuring human interest, in the spotlight, movers and shakers, and the news and happening that affects all of us in and out of the ACB community. Well, welcome, 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 welcome to Sunday edition. This is the October milestone Sunday edition, and we're going to be talking about a few things that are going on. I first wanted to do a quick shout out to all of the ACB events of this past week, celebrating a milestone legislation that brought us into the digital and information age with a vengeance. And of course, there's still, as always, more work to do and lots of advocacy surrounding it. But um, kudos go out to Clark and Claire, Tony Stevens, um, a whole host of panelists, including first vice president Mark Reichert, and a very special message behind the scenes. It took a little bit to wrangle it, but um, I don't know if you guys saw that video that Stevie Wonder sent in mentioning ACB twice. Uh, if you haven't got a chance to see it, definitely check out acb.org or the Facebook community page where you can uh, click on the link and hear what Stevie Wonder has to say about the good work that we are doing as an organization. But it is Sunday edition and we've got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to be talking about Hispanic Heritage Month a little bit later on in the program. Got some great panelists to, uh, to dive into what it means to be a Hispanic American. And later on, we'll also talk a little bit about White Cane Safety Day and what that means for our community. But we're going to start off with some fabulous members of Blind Pride International. You guys know we have a sister show called Pride Connection every Tuesday. You can check that out in podcast form. I want to welcome President Gabriel Lopez Cafati. Say hi. Hey, everyone. Uh, hey, Anthony. It's a pleasure to <laughs> be here on Sunday edition. I think it's my first time. No, my second time. <laughs> hey, don't forget you hosted that one time for me when I had it. Uh, I did. I did. Well, yes. co-hosted with Clark Rockville and Cheryl Cummings, who were amazing co-hosts and saved a lot of, <laughs> of my radio shyness. <laughs> we also have Vice President Leah Gardner, who is, of course, a founding member. She hates when I say that, but um, since she's we're all the same age, um, it doesn't really date us any more than it needs to. Yeah, welcome, Leah. Good morning, everybody. Hey, Gabe. Byron Lee, my editor extraordinaire, uh, streamer, guru, great BPI member. He's here, too. Hello, nurse. And other BPI members, as you come on in, uh, just say hello, introduce yourself. Let's, um, let's start off with Leah. Uh, Leah, tell us what coming out day means to you. Why is it so important that we still celebrate this, that we still talk about this? Wow. Um, you know, I think it is a key day every year because... Even since I came out when I was 17 in 1993, and things were different then, um, you know, same-sex marriage <clears throat> was not legal. 
across the country. In fact, you know, honestly, it hadn't really been challenged in the courts at all at that point. Um, you know, in 1993, there was the Defense of Marriage Act in the uh, military. Uh, it, it, I'm sorry, those are two separate things. In the military, there was Don't Ask, Don't Tell. So you could be a member of the GLBTQ community, but if you said anything about it, then you were subject to uh, being discharged. Um, you know, Ellen hadn't come out <laughs> on her sitcom yet. Melissa Etheridge hadn't come out. It was a different world. However, even with all the strides that have been made, uh, you know, same-sex marriage legal across the country, um, a lot more freedoms, and I think a lot more support uh, for the GLBTQ plus community. Um, unfortunately, people are still bullied. Uh, they are still victims of hate crimes. Um, there's still a lot of places where there's fear about coming out because of family members' reactions, because of community reactions. That hasn't changed. I think the climate in a lot of the country has changed. I think uh, perception, you know, if you had asked a lot of uh, society in America in 1993, mm. whether, you know, whether same-sex marriage was something that they would support, you would have had a large majority that would have said no. Um, that's something that I think has changed a great deal. I think, I think in general society, that's, that's flipped. However, we still have a lot of attitudinal barriers and quite frankly, um, hate crimes uh, are still perpetuated um, against, against our community and they're rising. Yeah. Yes. And so they're rising it, in the current climate. Uh, you know, there were groups. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, I, I want to ask, you know, as lesbian, gay, you know, and bisexual, those were the initial kind of um, letters in the, you know, in the spectrum. And um, a lot of people say, well, you know, you guys got everything that you asked for. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wonder if you wanted to speak for a moment to transgender and non-binary and the other, the other colors of the rainbow and how first and foremost against gay, lesbian and bisexual, the, if the prejudice is out there, it's out there. It doesn't matter that we've gained some rights, you know, but yes, I want to speak a little bit about the transgender community and the, and the um, rise in hate crimes towards, towards them and the rise of suicides, et cetera, et cetera. Leah. Well, you know, when I, when I first came out, we didn't even have in high schools and colleges, what came to be known as gay straight alliances. Yeah. Uh, we were right on the tip of that. When I was in college, when I was a junior in college, um, we we started a gay straight alliance. But, you know, at that time, nobody was using a transgender really as a term. Uh, definitely there was no talk of gender fluidity or um, non-binary. So we've, we have moved in a lot of ways. Um, in terms of much more acceptance. Uh, I also want to mention that ACE, asexuality was not 
Mm-hmm. on that spectrum either but you know we have moved a long way however that doesn't mean that across american society tolerance um has, has shifted yeah. no it's not universal you know i think we've moved as a community to embrace more people um however society as a whole has not necessarily made that shift Gabriel, as president of Blind Pride International, you were, you know, a strong proponent um, of a pronoun conversation that happened earlier this summer. You're a strong proponent of identifying those that are in the blind and low vision community who are also one of the letters on our spectrum. Coming out day, how important is it to the mission? How important is it to what the political landscape looks like today? Well, um, the uh, like you mentioned, the pronoun conversation that we had in conjunction with ACB earlier this past summer was a huge eye opener for many, many people, because um, I think to piggyback a little bit on what Leah said, um, even though we as uh, an LGBTQ community, we had made a lot of strides and we've gained a lot of support whether it be le- legislative or in the advocacy arena. Um, there's still a lot uh, in terms of attitudes and there's still a lot in terms of um, people who really don't know. Uh, and, 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 and this is where for me coming out is, is so important and national coming out, they having a day, I mean, we should, you know, be able to come out or, or, or we should be proud to come out every day. Um, but uh, having the recognition of, of coming out as, as, a, as, as an important milestone in the life of our community is very important because many people have not had the experience or the opportunity of relating uh, with someone or having a close friend or family member who is part of the LGBTQ community. So those people, sometimes it's not attitude, it's just that they don't know any better. And uh, we are missing out on opportunities, on teaching moments, like was that pronoun conversation um, that we held. Uh, because many people, many people, when, 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 the, uh, when the initial discussions part in the ACB, uh, in the ACB uh, umbrella or under, you know, the ACB world, uh, many people expressed, oh my God, I, ha- I had never realized that I was not being inclusive with my language. Uh, please teach us how to better include every member of the LGBTQ community in our way of communicating and in our way of expressing ourselves. So, so yes, one thing is the attitudinal part of it, like Leah mentioned, but another part is just that people have not had, and, and, and like people have told me, we had not had the uh, pleasure of interacting with someone from the LGBTQ community. So if we get exposed to that, we, we will be better humans and we will be more inclusive, not only in our language, but also in the way we understand uh, the feelings, the struggles and the challenges of LGBTQ folks. So um, to me, coming out is, is that important because it's an education moment. And, and, and if I may share uh, my personal story was, was, was a big demonstration for me and for my family because 
I was, um, yes, I'll admit it. I was some sort of like the family pet. <laughs> um, everyone from my grandparents to my uncles and aunts, my cousins. Uh, I don't know if it be if it was because I was um, my mom's the the youngest of eight, and she, you know, you know, uh, on on my mom's side were, uh, uh, you know, there's some Arabic descent, and it's like customary that the youngest daughter stays to take care of the grandparents of, of the, you know, of, of the, of the family <laughs> elderly in the family. Um, so and you were also so, dealing with RP as well. So you had that, that, that extra was love and thing. care. Yeah. Yeah. I had that extra love and care from the family when I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa very early on. So people developed that love for me and that care and, uh, growing up, everyone, you know, everyone, everyone would, would say as part of their best wishes for me, I really hope you deserve, they would say you deserve the best in life. And I really hope that among those things that you will get is a beautiful, loving wife. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, you know, uh, in my process of coming out was that I came out to my family later in life after my mid twenties, almost, you know, almost bordering early thirties. So, my family had had a chance to know me as Gabriel. And when they, they, they had so many preconceived that there was a lot of, you know, conservative, uh, religious, um, upbringing and, and, and traditions in my family. But when they realized that this Gabriel who they had loved and gotten to know, know since he was a kid growing up in, you know, the family house and, and, and who was, very close and dear for them if they realize that he's gay that means that being gay is not something bad maybe we need to learn what really what being gay really is uh so so that was a big moment uh still some of my family elderly family members are still struggling with that but they have come to embrace and accept it and they have come to understand that being gay is just a part of me uh, it's not I want to I want to put a pin in it right there because I want to come back to this, but I want to individually okay. let everybody hear our various stories cool. um, and why the, this day is as important as it ever was and will be for a long time to come. But I'm going to go backwards. Byron, I know you're here. And um, not so long ago on Sunday edition, you found yourself doing something that I think maybe weeks before that you never would have imagined. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about what life has been like for you since that wonderful Sunday edition show and um, why coming out gay, <clears throat> you know, means as much now as it did when it was first enacted? And uh, yeah, please. Absolutely. Byron. Yeah. So um <laughs> During Sunday edition, um, they were talking about the uh, the 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 founding of B Flag, which is now BPI. Um, and my friends Tom and Daryl were, uh, I think Daryl was a board member of B Flag, and so Tom, um, his partner by proxy, was very involved, and I was one of their roommates. So by proxy, I was very involved. Um, although I was a straight ally at the time, um, sometimes people who are straight allies are actually just closeted, um, you know, people who are, you know, members of the community, but they're not really ready to come out yet. So, you know, just keep that in mind when somebody says they're a straight ally, who knows what's, you know, what's really going on. But anyway, um, so they were talking about the founding of B-Flag and, 
I, I, I just didn't even think about it. I just came out on the air and I, I had only come out to people in the, in the BPI WhatsApp group at that point and a few select friends. And so I was just like, uh, oh yeah, you know, BPI has really been hugely helpful for me. You know, since I, since I uh, decided to start going down this road. And and then I got a message from Leah Gardner and she goes, do you realize that you just came out on Sunday edition? And I'm like, I did. Oh, I did. Oh, oh. <laughs> so that was kind of, uh, that was kind of interesting, but um, <clears throat> being out. It was a has... duality for you though, wasn't it? Because there was a sense of, of freedom and freshness, et cetera, et cetera. But there was also a little bit of backlash. There, there was a little bit of backlash. I have some friends that, I, you know, who have been my friends for the better part of 20 years. And unfortunately, some of the people in that group have had not so nice things to say, um, mostly passive aggressive stuff and some directly aggressive stuff like, you uh-huh. know, just flat out nasty things that they said. Um, and it's it's sad because, you know, I, I thought I I thought I could rely on those people to support me. And when my true self, my, my true self came out, they weren't supportive. However, I have, you know, gained a huge number of new friends in the, uh, in the community. And so I feel support. I feel like I have friends that truly are there for me. Um, but, but some of my old life, I, I had to shed some of that just because of their attitudes. So Leah and myself, we came out relatively early, you know, at least for our age group. I mean, now we look at it and, you know, we see gay straight alliances in high schools and prom king and kings and prom queen and queens. And I know myself, I, I look at that and I'm, I'm overjoyed, but I'm like, wow, you know, that would not have gone well in my high school graduation class. Um, you, you know, you had a different journey. And I wonder if you could just <laughs> speak for a moment to understanding that sometimes you don't you don't know inside yourself sometimes once you know inside yourself you don't know what to do with it and that whenever someone comes out whenever it may be it's their journey it's their it's their understanding of of who and what they are and it's not some uh, sudden flip of the script and and that you've been lying or or pretending all these years sometimes you really just get to it when you get to it right yeah, um, I, I have had some people accuse me of, of lying to them or being dishonest or deceitful. Um, and, it, and it wasn't that, you know, I think you said it best when I was talking to you about this. How could I be honest with you when I haven't been being honest with myself? Um, mm-hmm. You know, just just hiding from my from 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 my sexuality, hiding from who I really am um, and 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 not being ready to to come out. Um, it took, I'm 39 years old. Um, and it took all those years for me to finally get to the point where I was tired of pretending to be somebody I wasn't. Um, it took a nasty breakup and a global pandemic for me to finally do some soul searching and confront it because I don't, I don't sit with discomfort. Well, I tend to cover things up with distractions, comedy music and cartoons and hanging out with friends and, you know, masking things, trying to pretend like I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy. And <laughs> it took it took a huge blow to my personal life and a huge blow to just, um, be, you know, every like the world. <laughs> for me to finally be forced to, to sit there with the discomfort and go, <clears throat> why have all of my relationships failed? 
And part of it was that there was always this secret, this thing that I could never tell anyone, this side to me that I play for both teams, that I'm physically attracted to to both women and men and even some people in between. So right now I'm struggling with, am I pansexual or am I bisexual? And I'm leaning more towards pan now that I'm kind of figuring out what all that means. Um, So self-discovery never ends. But um, yeah, I, I just... It's taken me years and years to finally get to the point where I'm comfortable saying that I'm bisexual and that um, I don't care what people think of me. If they don't like it, they don't have to. But that took me a long time to get to that point. So I want to ask you one more thing before I ask you to kind of take a look and see if there's anybody who wants to make any comments. Um, Please follow the links. They're on the leadership list and the radio list. They're also on the Facebook community group. If you want to weigh in or just add your voice to our celebratory um, feeling for today, please, please join our meeting. But Byron, you know, National Coming Out Day. There have been talks, you know, over the last couple of years about having a straight pride parade and that, oh, why do you still need a parade? You got gay marriage, et cetera, et cetera. So in, in, from your perspective and your perspective only, you know, why is it so important to continue to have the parades, to continue to celebrate coming out day and, and the other milestones that we've achieved? Well, we, we definitely need a place where people, you know, people feel safe to admit to who they are. Um, we need a place for people to celebrate um, this new chapter in their lives. Um, I mean, I, I think it's just uh, you know monumentally important for people to know that there's a support system and that we're here and we're, we're ready to accept you into our arms as a member of our community and that it's 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 okay to be who you are even though it's been shamed for all of these centuries um you know it's 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 always been something that's been looked at as a, a source of of shame and it's not it it's no worse than straight people you know loving another straight person what's what's wrong with it mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with love love is love Well, that's a perfect segue, Byron. If you can keep an eye out for anyone who'd like to join our conversation, I want to jump back to Leah. I'll tell my story in a few minutes and we'll expand more on Gabriel's story. And Sarah is here as well, just so you know. Okay, cool. Awesome. Let's get to Sarah right after Leah. Leah, you you grew up in the upper Northeast and um, I'm sure that the prevailing attitudes in, in the town you grew up in weren't hateful or by any means, you know, Um, I'm sure there weren't people standing out on your lawn or anything like that, but it probably, from conversations we've had, it probably wasn't the environment where coming out was was safe and secure. And and the reason I'm saving myself for last is because I came out in New York and it was a a different experience. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what it was like as you started to, you know, you realized it in yourself, but then now you've got to start living it and, uh, you know, what that experience was like. Well, I knew when I was pretty young um, that I was attracted to other girls. And um, I definitely lived in a community where I don't remember there being any, you know, any any sort of episodes of hatred that were directed at people that were um, of the GLBTQ community. But... I also can't tell you that there was really a community either. 
Um, it's not something that was really talked about. And when it was, it was kind of hushed tones, derogatory tones. Um, I do, I can tell you that when I was 13, I had um, my best friend at the time. I, I can't kind of really started to realize that I had a crush on her and I really didn't know how to deal with it. And I think that that manifested itself in her thinking that there was something really strange about me. And she uh, actually decided to terminate the friendship. And I was really upset about it. And I can remember my seventh grade English teacher saying to me, oh, Leah, this is nothing. Trust me, it, it'll, it'll be a man someday. <laughs> and then it's going to be mm -hmm. a lot worse. And the interesting thing is I knew in that moment that my life was probably going to be on a very different track because I kind of knew within myself that I had more than just friendship feelings um, for that person. And I had um, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, unfortunately, was incredibly homophobic. Um, and I actually did not end up coming out to her. She um, and my grandfather had come to pick me up from college when I was, I don't know, a junior or senior. And uh, at that point, we had established a grace a, a gray <laughs> a gay straight alliance and there were posters up around the campus that had my picture and my name on it as as someone that could be talked to as a kind of like a safe person and oh. my my grandmother saw that poster and she just went ballistic i mean we had a two and a half mm. hour car ride back to New Hampshire from where I was going to college in Vermont you know she had a mild case of asthma but when she was upset about something she would uh, throw on the guilt by making it seem a lot worse than it actually mm. was she spent the car the entire car ride, <laughs> you know <laughs> pretending not to be able to breathe very well mm. and then uh she, a couple days later, I went to her house and she sat me down and she said, look, you know, I really want to know if this is true, that you, you are like this. And I said, yes, you know, I said, I said, I'm a lesbian. And she, uh, she was very nasty. Uh, she said, you know, I think somebody probably lured you into this because I don't know how you would have come up with this. I've always known you were different, but I didn't know that's what this is about. And I think, you know, your father is never going to want to hug you again oh. because you're like this. You are going to have diseases. Oh. Is, isn't your life hard enough? And I'm thankful that by that point in my life, I, I was secure enough in who I was. Um to be able to mentally and emotionally put up some plexiglass around that. Mm -hmm. Because I think had I been much younger, that is the kind of family reaction that can create, um, that can create suicidal ideation, uh, that can create suicide itself. Uh, I, I'm, I think I'm just glad that 
when she did find out um, that I had those years under my belt of, of acceptance. And again, you know, that's another reason why coming at eight is just so critical and so important. And that gives me the perfect opportunity to, you know, grab my soapbox real quick. Let me, uh, let me tap it, make sure there's nothing on it. All right, cool. You know, we, we've talked about violence against our community on Pride Connection before. Um, but, you know, here we are to open to all of the ACB community. And I, I really want to point out that every suicide is actually the culmination of hundreds, if not thousands, of acts of violence that led someone to the point where they could not envision living another moment under under the the horror that they feel every day and so you know people say suicide is you know is an act of violence against the people in your life it's it's and that might be true in a lot of cases but most of the cases in our community it's the final it's the final there's nothing left. There's no more left inside you. And so you take yourself out of enduring the pain and the torture. Gabe, Leah, if you want to expand on that before we say hello to Sarah. No, I just think that I want to remind everybody that's listening here that no matter what anybody says to you, you know Mm -hmm. within yourself that you are an amazing person that you are, you need to be true to yourself and keep that in mind when people try to belittle you or people try to try to take that away from you or shame you for who you are. Well, we were joined while we were speaking by Shara, um, another amazing BPI member, a, um, Power Olympic uh, athlete, someone who has multiple college level um, <laughs> going into the workforce moment in just moments, days. Um, somebody who is living an incredibly, an incredibly proud inside herself life. Um, so, Sarah, welcome to Sunday Edition. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Anthony. Hi, Gabriel. Hi, everybody. Your perspective, your perspective um, would be different. Everyone's perspective is different. So give us a little bit of your perspective. What's your journey like been like so far? My journey. Oh, gosh, there's a lot to cover. I I still feel like I'm on said journey, you know, Um, (laughs) of course, uh, (laughs) like I, I so far it's it's been. Well, it's been one heck one heck of a ride, (laughs) like, uh. Uh, in terms of coming out, uh, everyone has to take it at their own pace. And I definitely did that. Um, I came out under the bi umbrella first, which, you know, FYI, bisexuality is real. It's not a phase. You know, there are folks out there who, you know, identify as bi and they, they truly, really are. It's not a phase. And, you know, I, I think at the time I just didn't know any better. I just didn't know any better. Um, you know, I had, I had no indication, no knowledge, no way to really research um, what it meant to identify as LGBTQ plus. Um, so I, and, and pansexuality, I didn't know about it until very recently. Like I want to say within the last like six or seven years. And I was like, is this me? You know? Um, 
I think culturally also, I, I identify as Asian American and uh, there wasn't a lot of literature surrounding intersectionality um, in those regards, in those identities. So I really struggled for the longest time um, with sexuality and then for a little while with gender related um, self exploration as well. So um, journey wise, think I kind of you know it's it's a day-by-day thing for me it's not like I know I firmly know who I am like I feel like I just let myself fluctuate and I don't set a hard limit um but you know I'm I'm proud to be who I am I'm proud to have been through what I've been through and uh as they say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger all right so let's take a quick moment of silence amongst all of us in thanks and and respect to all those that came before us, be it Stonewall or, you know, the free gray, gay press, you know, the gay yellow pages, all of all of the work that was done before us. Let's just take a quick moment of silence in respect. And now I'm going to ask a fairly hard question of all of you, myself included, being. LGBTQ plus and low or no vision is, do you believe that it's harder? And I want to ask it both from both perspectives inside our low and no vision community and in the LGBTQ community, not low or no vision. And uh, I think we'll go to Gabriel. We haven't heard from you in a while. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, that's one of my favorite subjects. Um, not only as president of BPI, and, 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 I, and I will always say this um, about BPI. BPI changed my life because I was convinced that I was the only blind gay person in the world until I found BPI. And I knew there was that intersectionality and there was a group, an organized group who was already advocating and, and, uh, and offering a home for all of those of us who 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 are part of the LGBTQ community and are blind or visually impaired? I think it's 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 it it is a tough take on on either side. Um, being having been visually impaired all, all my life, I felt that even coming out, I could never fully fully fit within the typical gay um, setting or scenario. I've talked about you know how and this is this is this revolves around coming out again before coming out was something acceptable or coming out was something that we as uh, lgbtq folk practiced uh the the and i'm going to speak for the gay you know male gay community um because that's where i have the experience uh life experiences um the the uh before there was coming out the gay community was full of nonverbal communication uh-huh. because that was the only way of safely uh, engaging or or contacting other gay men without being uh, the target of hate crimes or without being the target of discrimination. Um, so so it became some sort of norm in the gay community uh, that men would communicate with no nonverbal cues out in public, whether it be a, a wink, a nod, a whatever, uh, you know, a, a, a handkerchief, you know, folded in a certain pocket. way, in a certain yeah. pocket, or whatever it was. 
So all of those, I, I, I was very low vision all my life where I could see, you know, I'm, I'm totally blind now, but um, RP is a degenerative condition. So there were many things that I missed out on. So I later engaged in this some sort of exploration process with other gay men, uh, close friends, and, and, they, and they disclosed that they either felt uncomfortable around me because they felt that either I was ignoring them, that they were signaling me and that I was ignoring them or that probably I was, you know, a closeted gay man that, uh, that uh, all sorts of things, but no one came over and asked me, you know, verbally. Um, and, uh, and that left me with a feeling of ex being excluded from, from and, and I'm not talking about, you know, like we say <laughs> commonly in the gay world or in, in the dating world, hooking up or, or meeting someone, just, just in general, being part of a community, just in general, feeling that I was part of a, a community. So I never felt that with the LGBTQ community or with the gay community uh, until I met BPI. And on the other side, um, some people still believe that, that you, you are not gay some people, and I have had this question asked, being asked, uh, believe it or not, recently, they asked me, if you're blind, how is it that you know that you like men and not women? And, oh. uh, and, and there's still a lot of misunderstanding. Uh, but again, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I know it sounds like I'm plugging BPI, but this is true. This is reality. And this is the, the, the shoes that I walk uh, ever since I've become part of the leadership of BPI. Is, is advocacy, advocating people. And, you know, advocacy is education and sharing that, you know, you just know it. You just know it. It's, 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 it's not something that we make up or it's not something that we choose, at least not in my case. There's many choices that we make, but in my case, it was never a choice. My sexual orientation, I realized it, you know, later than what I wish I would have realized it. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, on, on, the, on the blindness, uh, part of of the intersectionality there has been a lot of confusion as well and a lot of questioning um, however I would say that on the blindness part of things especially being part of ACB which is a membership driven organization um, I, I feel safe uh, for the most part in, uh, in the blind community especially like I said under the uh, uh, umbrella of ACB, because I feel that being blind also gives people, or visually impaired, visually impaired also gives people that extra layer of understanding yes. that that you that you, that we all have a struggle, that we all have a challenge in life, and most importantly, which is something that I love about the philosophy of ACB, is that. Uh, and, and you can see that reflected on the on the huge diversity of, of special interest affiliates that we have, that we as blind people recognize that we're not just blind, that we're either blind family members, that we're blind and LGBT, that yeah. we're blind attorneys, that we're blind guide dog users, et cetera. Yeah. So, so I think that on the, on the uh, blind part of things, uh, being LGBTQ has been being LGBTQ and blind has been easier than on the non-blind gay world.
Let's check in with Byron for a second. Are there any hands up? Anyone who would like to join the conversation? Well, we do have one new person in the room, but their hand is not raised. So I'm going to assume no. Um, if you do want to raise your hand, you can certainly do that. But uh, we do have one extra person, but no hands raised. So it is today, actually. Today is the actual National Coming Out Day. Um, you know, I'll share a quick perspective from from my point of view. You guys who have listened to Pride Connection and even partially on this show, uh, you know, I've shared my journey. I grew up in a very, very Catholic Italian family in New York City, but it was New York City. Um, I was in Staten Island, a little bit buffered out of the um, more progressive nature of New York City, but, you know, just a ferry right away. So for me, um, you know, I lived a dual, I didn't really realize much until my senior year of high school, playing baseball, being active, having a rich family life. There just wasn't the indicators for me to, to feel it, to understand it. But once I started to explore, I had New York City and, um, it was, it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful place to come out in. And it wasn't until I was in college, I had already, you know, started the process of coming out. Uh, I went to school on, on Long Island and, um, you know, often we would drive out towards, uh, um, towards the Eastern point, uh, Montauk, which is right outside of the Hamptons. And um, there was a small, very, you know, it was on a small little residential block um, and a very small gay bar at the end of this block, just just about up at the beach. Um, and I, and it, it never really, it never occurred to me the first couple of times that I had gone there that it was it was placed that way for a reason. And one night um, coming out, this was my first um, coming out of the bar, I should say. Um, this was my first experience that, you know, was not positive. There were a group of, of men out there heckling, disturbing, you know, harassing. Luckily, there was, thankfully, no physicality involved. Um, but the slurs, the, the, the things that were shouted out, out at us as we were coming and going from this bar, I was my first taste of like, oh, my God, it isn't, it isn't as beautiful as it is in New York City across, you know, the rest of the country. So for me, I've never forgotten. I've never forgotten that. I've never forgotten which BPI and Pride Connection is going to cover on Tuesday. The death of Matthew Shepard, it all kind of was all around the same time. It all affected mm -hmm. me deeply in understanding that my experience was one of extreme amounts of luck and, and love and happiness. My family, not so much, but everyone else around me was beautiful and supportive. And I'm a very, very lucky individual. But um, please... Tune into Pride Connection, also on ACB Radio Mainstream, 10 p.m. on Tuesday when we discuss Matthew Shepard and um, other reasons why National Coming Out Day is is beautiful and needs to be recognized as a beautiful thing. Um, I'd like to ask you guys if you have any any um, final comments on this segment of the show today. Leah, I Byron, do, Sarah, Dave, go on. I, I do, but I don't. I don't want to. If anyone else has, I'll be, I'll be brief. <laughs> I'll try to be brief. I'll very then, unlike go, <laughs> then just go on and do it. <laughs> okay. Um, to me, uh, National Coming Out Day is about honesty and authenticity. Um, being true to yourself. Uh, I believe everyone in this call has already expressed that aspect of being true to oneself before we are true to the rest of the world. And uh, for those of you who have not experienced coming out 
or who have not experienced the uh, coming out of a loved one, um, just know that growing up, uh, we we grow up tied to many, many paradigms and to many um, expectations, not only from family, but also from society. And that sometimes prevents us many times, at least in my case, prevented me from, uh, like Byron and Sarah so eloquently said it, self-discovering myself. I would quiet my inner voice. I would always quiet my inner feelings because I said, no, this is not what I've been taught. No, this is not right. No, this is something that is not good. And, uh, and that's what keep, uh, keeps us many times from coming out. So if you can express some support and openness and, and love, try to be, mm-hmm. yeah, and love, and love, absolutely love towards that authenticity and that honesty of allowing those around you. And if you are someone who needs to come out, be true to yourself, be honest to yourself, be strong and know that uh, there's a lot of us here. And like Anthony said, there's there were a lot of them before us who have worked the way and we keep working the way for you guys and gals. And um, and that, you know, it's, it's a matter of loving yourself and loving others because you cannot love someone else without Hello. giving them the best gift that you can give someone you love is the gift of your true self. You know, I also want to point out if we have uh, parents or relatives or siblings listening, you know, if somebody does come out to you, please be supportive. Please listen. Um, please be empathetic. Because quite frankly, uh, because I had that reaction for my grandmother and my parents have not been outwardly unsupportive, but they've never been supportive either. It has led me to find um, an alternate family outside of my biological family. So please, you know, if, if you, if somebody does come out to you and you're a relative, please be understanding and supportive and, um, tolerant. Even if you don't completely understand that support in that moment is going to mean a great deal. Byron, Sarah. Any final thoughts you want to share with us? Definitely join BPI if you know, even if you're yeah. not out yet. Yes. If you're not out <laughs> yet, you, we we shameless have, plug. <laughs> yes, we have a WhatsApp group, um, and we're active almost every day, um, and it's a great support system. And even if you're not out yet, and you just need a group of people to support you and to talk things out with, I mean, they're they're really awesome. Um, uh, disclaimer, you may very well end up coming out shortly after joining because they're very... <laughs> Sarah? Yeah, I'm just going to piggyback off of what everyone else has said. Um, I think ultimately it comes down to patience for yourself, patience for those around you that you decide to come out to. Um, and also we need to be mindful of folks that are coming out as trans or are trans. Trans voices yes. are important and must be heard. I may not identify as trans, but I do identify as non-binary. And, um, you know, pronouns are really important. We already had this discussion. You can go back and listen to Pride Connection. Um, And it just, please be mindful that, you know, people's preferred names and people's preferred pronouns are important and should be a part of, you know, daily interactions. Um, But that also takes time and patience too. If someone messes up, 
Don't make it a huge deal. Just go along with it. Be like, oh, sorry. You know, insert correct pronoun. Um, yeah. That's all I really have to say on that. And I know Gabriel and Leah, um, you know, myself, we're board members. Byron is a, a future board member. Sarah is probably a future board member. You know, I think this is the perfect opportunity to also say we have worked really hard to make BPI a safe space for allies, for family, for friends, for the G, the L, the B um, of, of the spectrum, but the Q, the T, the A, the P. Um, there are some of us that are, but I think that there are still some that are afraid to to fully trust that we're here and we're open and you're just as important a part of BPI as the G, the L, the B, and the T, and, you know. So one final thought, Mr. Gabriel, please invite everybody under the umbrella and friends and family, loved ones to BPI, tell them where they can go to uh, find out more information or join. Absolutely, like Anthony said, uh, BPI has always, um, demonstrated and always we're, we've always been proud of being a safe and open space where there's no judgment and there's love and acceptance for everyone uh our, we love our allies our allies are amazing people who are even you know part of our leadership and uh and you don't have to be lgbtq or you don't have to be blind or visually impaired we you just need to come in with an open heart and uh an open mind a lot of love and you can find us at blindlgbtpride.org that again is blindlgbtpride.org there's also links under the special interest affiliate section of acb.org uh, and if you have any questions you can reach us at membership at blindlgbtpride.org well i wanted to do a little something special for coming out day and also for white cane and Hispanic heritage. So Byron is going to run a special message from me. And when we come back, we're going to start celebrating Hispanic heritage. Gabriel's going to stay with us and Sarah, Byron, Leah, please stay with us as well. Be right back after this. It's a long 
to all of my LGBTQPA and all the rest T. Please love yourself today and every day. I asked Gabriel to stay with us because we are also celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month. He wrote an absolutely beautiful blog piece that you can find on acbvoices.com. Add your story. Please submit your personal stories whether they be about the community, about Hispanic heritage, about advocacy, ECB Voices is a beautiful chorus where every single one of our voices is strong, loud, and together we are a beautiful chorus. But onto Hispanic heritage, Gabriel, welcome, welcome, welcome back. Thank you for staying (laughs) and I know we have a couple of special guests. I'm going to start we by do. introducing one of Next Generation, Next Gen's uh, Shining board members, Mr. Steven Salas. 
please say hello. Thank you for joining us today. Hey guys, how you doing? Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. And Gabriel, you brought along someone from the IRC luncheon, um, a beautiful presentation that can also be found in podcast form. Um, who else do you have to introduce your uh, okay. friends? Okay, so I don't know, Byron, if everyone's unmuted. We should have, uh, like Anthony mentioned, Jose de Rizan, um, originally from Venezuela, now living in Orlando, who was part of our IRC luncheon this past July. Jose, bienvenido. Yep. I don't know. Hello, he, hello here. everyone. Hola, hola. Hola, Jose. <laughs> Welcome back to ACB. Bienvenido de regreso. Gracias, Gabriel. Gracias a todos. Okay. So uh, we'll be uh, translating again. Um, we also have a, a new friend for me, but uh, not a new friend, not a new, not a new name or face for the uh, community for the uh, Greater Orlando community in uh, the lighthouse and uh, all the other uh, beautiful communities that form central Florida. Uh, do we have Maria Saavedra? Uh, I don't see that person here. I do see somebody uh, named Tonya. I don't know if that's that person with a different name. That may be, that may be. Uh, Tonya is have... for white cane. Yeah. We're going to speak to her a little oh, later on. Okay. okay. And, and, Okay, maybe Maria has not been able to join. How about Nancy? Do you see Nancy, Byron? I don't see list? Nancy either, no. Um, so if they show up in the waiting room, I will let them in as soon as I see it. Uh, also, low partial, uh, you know, partially sighted person here. So sometimes I, I'm like, oh, oh, crap, there's people in the waiting room. So if, if it's taking a while <laughs> to be let in, that's why. Okay. So, so let's Maria start. and Nancy, if you're listening and you're having trouble, please uh, feel free to text me and I'll be able to help guide you through the process of getting into the call. Let's start, Gabriel, with the success of that beautiful um, luncheon that was put on virtually through our Path to the Future virtual convention this year. You spoke with Jose um, in depth about his experiences. But let's talk now a little bit about the experiences here in America and the Orlando community. Tell us, uh, tell us what it's like being Hispanic here in Florida and in America in general, Jose. Jose, eh, felicidades por la excelente participación en julio y eh, queremos que nos compartas cómo ha sido tu experiencia como hispano aquí en Estados Unidos, cómo te ha recibido este país. Bueno, ¿qué tal? Muy buenas tardes. Gracias nuevamente por la invitación a, a este programa. Gracias, Gabriel. Gracias, Anthony. Gracias a todos los que acá comparten. Ya tuve la oportunidad de estar una vez con ustedes. Pues ahora estoy nuevamente. Estuve escuchando la primera hora de, del programa con mi poco inglés, con algunas ayudas de traducciones. Este, muy interesante las historias que contaron. De verdad que sí, muy, muy, muy interesante. Pero bueno, me das una ahora... pausa solo para irte traduciendo un poco yes. a poco. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So thank you, Gabriel. Thank you, Anthony, for inviting me. Um, I pretty much enjoyed the experience back in July with the virtual convention. And uh, I uh, also tuned into the earlier part of the show. Uh, I was very happy to hear everyone's stories with my limited English, but also with the help of some translate <laughs> technology. I was able to follow everyone's stories and I was happy to hear everyone. And I'm very happy to be here with you today. See you, Congratulations, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> eh, 
Bueno, nada, te, te cuento. Básicamente llevo un par de años acá en los Estados Unidos, de los cuales ese par de años ha sido acá en Orlando. Creo que el año 2019 para mí fue un año bastante movido, bastante intenso, eh, debido a que me pude insertar en muchas cosas. Sobre todo logré entrar a un programa de rehabilitación en Lighthouse for the Blind en Central Florida. Y pues fue una experiencia bastante bonita, bastante enriquecedora. Y creo que de alguna u otra forma sirvió para abrir puertas dentro de esta ciudad para mí, ya que en principio fue un poco complicado. Pero una vez que me inserté en ese programa y una vez que tramité toda traté de tramitar toda mi documentación, creo que la cosa se ha sido un poco más, más sencilla, creo que todavía falta mucho camino por recorrer, pero sí en este par de años tengo mucho que agradecerle a los Estados Unidos el hecho de abrirme la puerta para estar acá. The last two years have been uh, full of a lot of changes for me. Um, 2019 was, was a critical year because it's when I, it is when I started my process of Um, trying to insert myself in the life of the United States, specifically here in uh, Orlando. Um, milestone was to be able to uh, incorporate myself in a rehab program at the Lighthouse of Central Florida. And uh, that not only gave me a wonderful experience, it was so enriching for me um, as a blind person, but it was also... Uh, an opportunity that opened so many doors for me to be able to feel that I was really welcome in this country and in this society. And I um, started the process of my uh, documentation and uh, all the legal processes that are involved in, in this immigration uh, situation. Um, it has been challenging. There's still a lot for me to do but I'm on the right path and I have felt very welcome and have felt very grateful to be able to be part of the United States of America. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that with us. How, if, if any, how has your celebration of your heritage shifted since coming here? Gracias por compartir con nosotros tu experiencia, José. ¿Cómo, si en alguna forma ha cambiado tu, tu manera de celebrar tu hispanidad, tu herencia hispana desde que llegaste a este país? Eh, de celebrarlo creo que sí ha cambiado porque lo único que me reconforta saber es el hecho de que como hispanos pues estamos haciendo cosas por este país que somos eh, en su mayoría clase trabajadora, gente que le ponemos empeño. Sin embargo, creo que en, las en, en, en el tema cultural, ¿no? de, de qué es lo que hacemos en, generalmente en nuestros países, generalmente eso ha mermado o, o, o merma un poco acá en los Estados Unidos porque, porque bueno, pues las costumbres son diferentes, las formas de celebrar son diferentes. Este, a lo mejor yo estoy acostumbrado en Venezuela, por ejemplo, a, a festejar la Navidad con muchos fuegos artificiales, pero aquí es como muy, muy diferente. Eh, hay ciertas partes de la cultura que de alguna u otra forma te quedan como en el recuerdo, porque no 
cuando llegas a la realidad y ves, este, tienes que saber que estás en una cultura diferente, no olvidando, por supuesto, tus raíces, pero tomando en cuenta la capacidad que tienes que tener para adaptarte a una sociedad que si bien te abrió las puertas, es una cultura completamente distinta. Wow, I'm going to try to make justice. This is me speaking. This is Gabriel, not the translator. I'm going to try to make justice to the beautiful message that Jose just gave us. So, end quote. I mean, end, end Gabriel, start translation. Um, yes, it has changed. My way of celebrating my Hispanic heritage has changed since I got, since I got to this country. On one side, on the more practical aspect of things, um, I am happy to be able to represent uh, the Hispanic community, which for the most part in this country is a working community. It's a community that is uh, always fighting to make things better for ourselves, for our families, and for this country. And we're here to give a little bit of ourselves to make this a greater nation. And I'm happy to be able to work and uh, make make uh, that contribution as a Hispanic in the United States. Culturally speaking on the more emotional sides of, side of things, I think it has changed in a different way. My uh, celebrating my Hispanic culture here in the United States, because uh, while well, I come from Venezuela, Uh, where we celebrate things differently. Like, for example, I'm used to celebrating Christmas with a lot of fireworks, and here it's something different. Um, I have had to acclimate, because I do understand, without forgetting my roots, that this is another country, and this is a country with its own identity and culture. And um, I've had to understand that me coming into this country, there's certain things about my culture that I have to Uh, like I said, without forgetting my roots, that I have to uh, embrace and uh, learn how to celebrate differently. And uh, it, it, is, it is a mix because I, I celebrate my Hispanic heritage and my Hispanic culture, but I also embrace the culture of this country. And, uh, and in that way, my own celebration of Hispanic heritage has been molded by the culture of the United States. Wow. That is absolutely beautiful. Jose, we will come back to you in a few minutes. We're going to turn to Stephen for a couple of moments. And um, sidebar note, besides being, um, besides being one of the board members for NextGen and one of our rising leaders who proclaimed when he accepted the DKM award that he would someday be standing in the president's box uh, addressing <laughs> ACB. But uh, you're also an avid musician and podcaster. Your My Blind Life series is pretty darn awesome. Um, <laughs> So I just want everyone to uh, to go check that out, My Blind Life with Stephen Salas. And uh, every week is a special guest, episode two or three, I believe. Um, you uh, graciously allowed me to come and tell my story. So let's uh, let me let uh, let me return the favor. Can you tell us a little bit about um, your family origins? I know you know we all know you're from Texas. Um, your family origins and what it's what it's meant. For what it means for you to celebrate your Hispanic heritage here in NACB and in America in general. Sure. So, yeah, my family's originally from Mexico, Saltillo, Mexico. Um, I'm actually a first-generation American. Um, so I'm kind of like, uh, no pun intended, but I'm on the middle of the river uh, when it comes to like being um, – 
Mexican American and Hispanic, I'm right down the middle. Like I'm, I'm building my own roots here in America um, with the help of my family. But it actually means a lot to me to be Hispanic and Mexican American um, only because I did have the, the upbringing of my grandparents and my father um, learning, you know, never forgetting where I'm from, like where my roots are from, but also learning the ways of, of living here in America on my own. Um, my first language was Spanish, so uh, I didn't learn English until I started school. And so it's it's been kind of tough um, growing up, at least um, in my family, just because I had to learn two sides of the culture, um, you know, as, as an American and a Mexican American. But um, you know, it, it, it's 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 something that I, I take pride in, and I, I never forget it. And I, I just when it comes to um, Anything that I do, whether it's podcasting, music, uh, representing ACB, representing the blind community, I always make sure to point out that I'm Hispanic. I never want to give up that label. Um, and I say Hispanic, I don't just say Mexican-American because I, I do want to represent um, the whole Latin community, whether it's, you know, from Honduras, from Venezuela, from, you know, Cuba, from all around, you know, all Latin America. I, I, you know, I, I do take pride in calling myself Mexican-American, but I take even more pride in calling myself Hispanic or Chicano just, you know, for the purpose of Cesar Chavez. For, he did so much for us. But, um, yeah, I, I, I love being Hispanic. I, I would never give that up, and, and it's, I'm very prideful in that, and it's, it means a lot to me. Thank you. How much – how much? Not the right uh, – not the right phrasing – do you feel fully enveloped into the fabric of the American culture? Is your uh, Hispanic heritage part of of what you feel the greater fabric of of our nation represents? Um, yes and no. Um, it's hard to say I've, I've been fully in it just because I've had. Okay, to put this lightly, there is more highs and there is lows when it comes to being Hispanic. In America, um, you know, there has not been any open doors for me because I've been Hispanic. Although there is, you know, there's plenty of advocacy people have done for me in the past where, you know, I haven't, when I wasn't born, but I did also feel the racism side of it. Um, so it's, it's kind of hard to be like accepted at one point, but I have to keep fighting. I'm not going to let that bring me down. Um, instead of, you know, sitting back and feeling like I'm, I'm part of America, I'm going to fight my way in and making myself part of America. Um, and I think that's, that's not, that's just not myself. I think that's the whole Latin community where, you know, in a lack of a better term, we are warriors. Um, just because where we come from, uh, you know, Native Americans, we, we have that blood in us, but um, it, it's kind of, it's hard to say that, that that I've been accepted, but you know I, I made myself accepted in a way. So yeah, it's 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 a little on on the fence on that. No, and that's it's a very valid perspective. I think everybody should understand that. You know, we're told when we're growing up, when we're in school, we're told about the melting pot and about how every culture and every 
person that comes here brings a unique gift to to our nation, the fabric of our nation. Uh, and it's a beautiful sentiment. It's it's absolutely beautiful in pra- in theory, but in practice, it doesn't always translate. Um, and so, thank you on behalf of of you know all of us on behalf of all of ACB for always being very true to who you are and making who you are open enough that we can all get to know things that we might not have understood if we weren't friends with you or or on one of your calls or listening to your podcast. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, Anthony, uh, this is, yes, we, um, I confirmed, uh, I got off the line a little bit. I confirmed with uh, Maria Saavedra. She is uh, on the call and I believe she's unmuted. If you want to welcome her, I'll introduce her really quickly. Maria Saavedra is originally from Colombia and she's worked, I think, for six years at the Lighthouse of Central Florida. She's an artist. Uh, she's 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 an amazing woman. So um, she's here with us. Uh, welcome, welcome, um, welcome, <laughs> Maria. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, thank you, Anthony, Gabriel, and everyone. Uh, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm 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 grateful and happy to be here with you guys, uh, talking specifically about this month, the Spanish Heritage Month. So thank you for the invitation. So I want to ask all of you, Jose, Maria, Stephen, hopefully, um, hopefully our other guests will get on while we're talking. Gabriel, I asked in the in the last segment about National Coming Out Day, and I want to ask the same thing about Hispanic Heritage Month. Why is it important that we celebrate this? I've spoken um, a lot. I'll give it to Maria. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think this is really important to celebrate and keep embracing our roots because um, not because we move to another country, we have to learn other languages or, you know, acculturate ourselves to a place means that we have to forget where we come from. And this is really important because um, this is our roots, it's our heritage. Uh, Like the the same thing as, you know, indigenous people in our countries, they embrace, you know, who they are because this is really powerful. Um, this is the framework of who we are. So I think this is really important to celebrate, embrace, and and you know, and keep it going with our with our heritage, despite of the fact that we are in a different country. Maria, if you wouldn't mind, um, what do you think the Hispanic culture can teach the American culture? How can how can learning and being active in being a part of Hispanic heritage, celebrations, et cetera, et cetera. What can that bring to the overall fabric of the American culture? Well, one of the things that I have witnessed in through my whole, you know, my whole journey here in the United States is that diversity is such a wonderful thing. And everyone, not only Hispanics, have that with, you know, with themselves. Like we as, as Hispanics, we are coming from different, um, you know, lands, from different cultures, traditions, different ways of doing things. So what we can teach to um, to Anglo community is that we all are different in beautiful ways. So we are not just Mexican and Colombians and Argentinians and Hondurians, uh, nothing like that. We are a really great community that brings a lot of diversity. And where it is diversity, there is a lot of great stuff coming with it 
Um, so I think this, this is very important to teach them that how diverse we are and the, the amount of things that we can bring to this culture. Um, I think that's, that's one of the most powerful things that we can teach. Gabriel, you wrote a beautiful article slash posting for ACB Voices. Um, you know, and as I read it, the Genesis, you know, to my understanding, you know, you gave us a very beautiful history framed around Christopher Columbus. And, you know, there's some very low points in that history. There's some very high points in that history. But ultimately, your your message was of one of embracing, one of, you know, pulling the best of all of the cultures that started to commingle and creating a beautiful and wonderful, you know, um, umbrella culture. So could you speak a little bit about um, your journey here and uh, what it means, what it means to celebrate Hispanic heritage here and what you would bring back to Honduras? Well, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's always very important to, to, you know, to always highlight our history. And like Maria um, so eloquently said it, it's important to always remember where we come from. Um, I learned early on in my life that you need to know where you come from if you want to be sure of where you want to go. So, mm. um, yeah. So, um, you know, 1492, Christopher Columbus, you know, came over. Um, everyone thought he was, you know, he was going to die in the sea, in the ocean. Um, he came to our beautiful coasts in the Caribbean and thought that he had gotten to India or Asia, just discovering a different route. And um, like I mentioned in the article, he died without knowing that he had encountered a land that had a millennial culture, millennial cultures full of richness and diversity and and a lot of advances. Uh, in, in many ways, our our natives were were pretty much even more advanced than than Europeans in terms of agriculture, in terms of astronomy, um, their beautiful dialects. Unfortunately, most of them almost died out. Um, but we still have some influence, like I mentioned, in our not only in our language, but also in our um, in our food and our music. Um, so yes, a Hispanic. His, Hispanic culture, uh, as 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 a culture itself, was 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 a was kind of like a, a, a commingling between Europeans who settled in in these new lands as part of the monarchy of either Spain or Portugal, especially Spain, and uh, you know on the way they you know they they brought uh, people from Africa to serve as slaves for them to help them conquer and. Uh, and almost kind of, you know, take over the lands that were already being inhabited by the indigenous people here in Latin America because of all the richness. I mean, it was, it, it is still a land such with such richness. You have oil in Venezuela, you have gold and silver all the way from Mexico down to Argentina. You have copper, you have so many new and exotic plants and vegetables and fruits. And most importantly, the indigenous people, and, that, and I think that's what remains in our Hispanic heritage, is that giving culture, is that part of giving, like I mentioned in the article, in the blog post, uh, you're not going to go into a Hispanic house. And it's almost borderline offensive if you say no uh, when someone offers you something to eat, because Hispanic people will always share whatever's on their table with you. And I'm not saying that other cultures don't, but uh, but definitely that's, that is that is a, such a staple of Hispanic houses 
and that you know those family values were you know uh, to if you talk to a hispanic like i also mentioned in in, in the article um if you talk to a hispanic person and and they say oh no no today's my turn to take care of abuela you know they 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 take that seriously they're not gonna say uh, you know uh the responsibility uh, and the torch that we carry as part of a hispanic family is is, is very important and obviously the other great things that uh, we have shared with the world food i mean so diverse and so rich and so i'm sorry but so delicious and uh like i mentioned mexican and peruvian foods being uh nominated as not nominated but being deemed um world heritage by the un and uh our music is heard all over the world you know we have you know who doesn't know a mariachi or samba or zumba bolero uh reggaeton you know it's 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 a rich culture it's a rich culture all all over but again just to finish that thought it was it was it, it was a culture that emerged by the final commingling of which was not peaceful at the beginning was not always peaceful but it was you know at the end it all beautifully commingled between the european influence the indigenous influence and the african influence so you know those three cultures met in latin america and created this new beautiful hispanic culture that has so much to share with the world and that's that's one of the things that we we do when we come to the united states is share all that and you know that that richness our tortillas our arepas we're so proud of it and and our music uh everyone everyone loves uh, our music and we we feel so proud of it um speaking of which i'm i'm going to try to um connect with with nancy i don't know if she's if she's still on uh you know uh, i'll i would love for her to say something uh especially if we're gonna uh, play something by her um but i'm gonna leave you with with a thought i'm i'm sorry to put you on the spotlight maria and then anthony if you want to go back to jose and and steve um maria uh, uh like i said sorry to put you on the spotlight but i would like for you to share with with sunday edition one of the things that you do which is actually you teach dance <laughs> yeah uh, hispanic heritage month for me is the busiest time ever i've been a dancer and a choreographer since 20 years ago i've been dancing here in the united states for like 15 of those uh 20 years I um, taught dance to people, other, you know, like Colombians, any Latin, and actually Vietnamese. Um, I was teaching Colombian dances at UCF for like six years. I have my own group, my, my own troupe. Um, and this time is very, very relevant to us because we can celebrate our roots by either teaching, mostly performing, um, you know, um, and going around with our costumes and showcasing our um or dance dancing and our folk dances and and all traditions in terms of like how we move uh you know the colorful costumes uh the rhythms so we gather together with other companies like from mexico and and other places from latin america and in spain and we celebrate hispanish uh, heritage month so yes i i teach I've been also teaching Zumba uh, at Lighthouse, actually, for the kids and teenagers mm -hmm. and adults. So, yeah, dance is kind of like my, my strongest point. 
for this time of the year. Well, throughout the year, but this is one of the biggest at times that I, that I do that I do a lot of performances. Let's throw it over to Stephen. How do you um how do you celebrate? Do you do you amp up your music? Are you creating some calls or or listening sessions? How do you how do you celebrate this month? Um, it's kind of weird because it, not to say that I don't celebrate this month, but like for me, it's like every day it's Hispanic heritage. Um, whether if it's just cleaning in the house, I I put on you know Spanish music, uh, mariachi, you know, reggaeton, colombianas and cumbias. I, I put it on all the time when I'm cleaning or when I'm cooking. Um, every day I speak the language. I speak Spanish every day, whether it's talking to my parents or, you know, someone in the streets, um, especially around this time of the month, you know, Dia de los Muertos, Dia of the Dead is a big uh, thing for me. I, I, I celebrate that. Um, so there's never like a, it's hard to say that I celebrate more during Hispanic Heritage Month. It's just more, um, I help raise awareness about it. Like, hey, there's like like Gabriel was saying, like we it's kind of rude to say no when someone offers you food. It's uh we uh, our food is, is more is out there more, like letting everyone know, like, hey, this is Hispanic Heritage Month, this is what we do. But as for myself, I, I just feel like every day for my for me Hispanic heritage, I wear that like in my heart on my sleeve. Nice. Um, Gabriel, did we get um did we get Nancy in? No, we haven't gotten Nancy in yet. Um, I think she may be having some technical issues, but uh, but I left her a message to uh, contact me if okay. she needs my help to, so, to get on the Zoom. So I want I want to shift the conversation a little bit. Um, this is going to go to Jose and Maria first, and and Gabriel, you as well. Um, you self proclaim how proud you are to be a naturalized citizen, uh, you know, you're obviously, yeah. uh, you know, your story has been well-documented. You, you became a citizen right before it was time to start campaigning in the, the last presidential election. I, and I don't want to get too political, but, you know, coming to, to this country from Latin America with a Hispanic tint, you know, there's a lot about the American culture that has Hispanic influence uh, you know we, some of the foods have been you know been Americanized to a certain extent you've got the Taco Bells and, and uh, the Rio Bravos and Chevys and things like that the music has been appropriated in in many ways many you know forms so when you you know when you come here and you see all that but then politically speaking there's you know so many different tides of acceptance or non-acceptance how how hard is it to celebrate this month when there are stories about people being detained and children being taken away and and where in the process are the three of you in be in the feeling of truly being hispanic american citizens Dave, if you want to start and then ask jose and maria Okay, um, so you want me to share first and then translate the question for Jose? Yeah, please. Okay. Okay, so yeah, like Anthony mentioned, I I was, um, you know, I, I had a very, my situation was a little bit different. I don't know, for some reason, um, at least my country, and this is very particular of Central American countries, at least some of the Central American, I think uh, with the exception of Costa Rica, 
I think the rest of the Central American countries, we always, at least in the 80s, we grew up looking up to the United States like, wow, anything, you know, if we had a, a product, if we had the option of buying, going to the grocery shop and buying a product uh, imported from the U.S. versus something locally made, you would, oh, my God, definitely go with the American product because it was better quality and it came from the U.S. <laughs> uh, that has changed, obviously, now that we've you know, learned to embrace our culture and embrace that what we produce is equally as good or sometimes even better. <laughs> um, but um, I, I grew up having that admiration for the United States. I embraced its political system and its uh, you know, example as a uh, first power in the world and uh, democracy and how you know, laws are made and respected and everyone you know, for the most part is is, is is an abiding law abiding citizen and with so much freedom and opportunity so i grew up embracing that culture however uh, moving here to the u.s i um, sometimes experienced a little bit of homesickness at the beginning um, sometimes i just felt that i had embraced the american culture in such a way that i didn't miss some of the things but you know it only took me a small trip to honduras to realize how much i miss <laughs> my hispanic my my real thing my real food like you said not the taco bell but my real tortillas with refried beans and my real tamales and uh um just homemade uh and and i've kind of figured out a way of you know getting the best of both worlds you know i'm lucky to live in miami which is a city in which you can find for the most part any product from any part of latin america and you can absolutely to roll you kind of back towards the point of the question yes i'm going there i'm sorry oh, all right um i'm going there the um it is it is it is kind of uh, without like you said without getting political um i i feel that it is a double standard many times because it is like a pick and choose okay we want your food and we want your music but oh but we do not want the rest of your culture um we embrace um certain things about your culture but some other things or persons are not welcome and uh and, and it does break my heart to see uh that um sometimes due to political entanglement the the uh value ha that has been added to to the united states of america by the hispanic culture um, it's sometimes undermined or overlooked. And, uh, and, and, and I just want to highlight, and I'm going to end my thought with this. I just want to highlight that the things that the Hispanic community has added, the value that the Hispanic community has added to the United States of America is not, is not a side. It's actually in spite of our roots. So we bring the best of our roots to make this this nation uh, a greater place. So I'm gonna um, translate to Jose. Jose, la pregunta es, sin entrar mucho en política, eh, ¿cómo sientes cuando a veces la cultura de este país se siente muy feliz de adoptar nuestras comidas, nuestra música, y casi como que eh, tomarlas como propias, pero luego por otra parte, el clima político a veces nos hace sentir como que no somos bienvenidos cuando vemos casos en las noticias de gente siendo deportada de niños siendo separados de sus padres en fin 
Fíjate que algo de lo, de lo que me siento bien en este país y algo que he notado que es súper, súper bonito es que Estados Unidos es el epicentro donde convergen demasiadas culturas, ¿ok? O sea, aquí podemos ver gente no solamente latinoamericana, sino asiáticos, europeos, de todo, de todo, de todo. En cambio, por ejemplo, eh, en, nuestros, en nuestros países, por ejemplo, tú ves eh, que hay diferentes culturas, pero por cada región. Acá no, acá tú ves... Eh, yo me he familiarizado con gente de Puerto Rico, me he familiarizado con gente de Colombia, con gente de México, con gente de todas partes, y que es lo bonito, ¿no? Este, el hecho de poder que, converger varias culturas que han levantado de alguna u otra forma a este país. Ahora, en la parte de, en, en la segunda parte que nombra, mira, <ríe> no me quiero meter mucho en ese tema, pero sí es bastante difícil ver cómo eh, las personas generalmente son separadas y, y bueno, de alguna u otra forma a lo mejor es esa persona que está tratando de como que querer preservar la, la identidad de su país, pero es que Estados Unidos no es puro, o sea, desde, desde, mi, desde, desde mi opinión, Estados Unidos no es un americano puro, o sea, Estados Unidos es el país donde convergen muchas culturas y gracias a todo eso es que se, se ha levantado este país entonces no podemos pretender pues dejar que el país sea unificado por una sola cultura, siendo que son muchas culturas las que hacen de este país grande. O sea, no es solamente Estados Unidos, es la gente que aquí hay, de todas partes del mundo. Well, again, I'm going to try to make justice. So, um, on the cultural side of things, I see the United States of America as the epicenter, where uh, we find the convergence of so many cultures, uh, Hispanic, Asian, European. Um, I believe that uh, the culture of the United States of America is made by that convergence of all those other cultures that have found a place in this in this nation. On the second part of your question, I really don't want to get so much into politics, but it is difficult to see how uh, sometimes people are not treated equally just because they express their Hispanic culture in this country but we have to understand that ultimately um I, it, it is my belief that there is not such a thing as a pure pure american culture i think the american culture is a product of the combination of all the other cultures that have come and lived and pushed this country forward and make it the great nation that it is for real Do you want to share any thoughts on what we're talking about now? Sure. Uh, and, and as all of you, I'm not going to be going too political in this uh, situation. Thanks for the question, though. Um, I am really grateful for the opportunities. Uh, as Gabriel said before, I used to see this country like, uh, oh, my God, this is super magic. Then I came and I'm still thinking this is a great country that you know, has given me so many opportunities. I also have, you know, have been working hard to, to obtain those opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, so to me, I'm really, I'm really grateful. How I see United States and uh, right now and how I see the entire world, because it's not only United States. Unfortunately, I have seen that we have been um, uh, going you know, backwards instead of like going forward. Like right now we're talking about diversity, inclusion, equity, and all of these topics. And we are in this century that we are supposed to be more 
tolerant, more responsible, more, you know, have more solidarity, have more love and, and compassion mm-hmm. and all of these things. And on the contrary, we don't. And I, and I say we, I, I, I don't try to point fingers, you know, to anyone here, but it's like, I just feel like if we are not really evolving as a community, as a country, when we, is, you know, when we do not accept the fact that, yes, we have many cultures and it's always been like that. So, and, and every time that these kind of political scenarios come, um, people become enemies. Um, people lack of education is another thing. Uh, we don't educate ourselves first to kind of like, okay, this is my point of view and I respect yours, but I want you to respect me. So that, that doesn't happen. So that's why politics is so hard to talk about because nobody nobody understands other people's point of view. So in other words, um, yes, I think sometimes this is double standards when I say, "Hey, I'm, I'm 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 you know I'm working for you for your for your good for this community," but at the same time, I'm not because opportunities are given to you know people probably outside of the community, and that happens everywhere and in a political sphere. It's really hard, especially now, because this is very, very difficult to see how many families are being separated, how many kids are, you know, left alone without the parents and, and all the whole situation when we say, hey, we don't even know what's going to happen. So, yeah, yeah, it's very difficult. I just um, invite people to just think about it. We need to become a better country, a better uh, universe, a better world just to become more tolerant tolerant to things and more understanding to other people's points of view and, you know, be more like em- em- empathetic to others. Um, so that, that would be what I can share now with you guys. Absolutely. Beautiful I just want to build on that one second more before we go into true celebration. I, I want to point out not only Hispanic in every culture, in every person that comes here from a, from another spot in the world, you never know what's coming here. I, I met um, um, a woman who was a research biochemical, you know, degree after degree after degree, and had to come back here, had to come here and go through another four and a half years of schooling before she could teach what she was researching and, and practicing and Gabriel on this call is you know a lawyer from Honduras so a lot of times you know look under the surface of clothing or accent or so on and so forth and understand that there's a rich diverse beautiful person that's coming here and they can add so much beauty and knowledge and wonderful to to the fabric but now Let's celebrate a little bit. Maria, I know that you're teaching dance and, and that's your first love. But um, when you look at when you look at the American culture in general, what things do you see from from your from growing up, from from your life experience that's been assimilated beautifully into the fabric of um, of America? And what food and music would you suggest to us to take a peek at in celebration of Hispanic heritage? Okay. Um, well, I think that uh, in terms of food, um, we all kind of share, you know, say similarities in 
like oh, we love beans, we love meats, we love um, you know chicken tacos, regardless of they you know if they come from um, Mexico or Honduras or Central America, we all love tacos, we all love mariachis, we all love vallenatos um, from Colombia or yes. the bomba from 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 Puerto Rico. So um, I think that what I can suggest to people is just go and try. Like um, it's a beautiful way of learning from other cultures is just go and try their food. Oh, okay. And you can find always a similarity regardless mm -hmm. of if that come from Europe, from India, from Africa, from Colombia, from Venezuela. We all have similarities in, in, in our traditions, in our food or dances and everything. So um, I just suggest you try it, um, everything. I was part of, I've been part of the Fusion Fest. This is a festival here in Orlando happening in, in, during Thanksgiving. And they celebrate specifically the roots of the, of the world, the entire world. So how we can learn from other cultures just by sitting next to anyone who is, you know, has a custom from Africa, from India, from, from Venezuela, whatever, is too much. So I have had like a lot of great experiences blending into the Anglo community because I am very eager. I have been very eager to do that. I was actually one of the first, you know, artists, you know, jumping into those big festivals and saying, hey, we are Hispanics, we are, we're here. So I've been collaborating with, um, Puerto Rico and other countries uh, just to, to throw a big show and co-produce really amazing shows. Beautiful. So year by year, they say, oh, you yeah. guys are wonderful. It's just a matter of being inclusive and include others. So that's just two avenues that we can do so many things and we can learn so many things from other cultures, including the Anglo. I really love my Anglo community as well. So I don't know if I responded to your questions well, but I know that's... It's beautiful. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Are any of the dance performances that, that you produce and, and um, excuse me, choreograph, are any of them audio described? If ACP members wanted to immerse themselves and um, be able to actually understand the movement? I don't know if that's audio described, but because I, um, one of the things is every time that I go out and dance, I, I, I don't really take this into consideration because I'm probably the only person who has side situations over there, you know, like uh, visual impairment. I always go in and produce and co-produce as an artist, regardless of whatever I, you know, I bring with me, like my blindness or my skin color, whatever it is. I just go and co-produce like any other co-producer. So I can tell you that probably they don't even know that I have a visual condition. I just go and jump and do my thing and, but yes, I definitely think that if you go to the video, I'm not really an expertise on, 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 on this kind of accessibility features myself, but I guess if you guys go and I'm going to send links to for those who wanted to see what is this about, um, I, I will be happy to do that. I've been in the same stage with the Orlando Ballet, Circo de Soleil, and other companies, big companies. So... It's, it's, it's Maria Saavedra and we de Colombia as a dancer, as an artist, as a person, you know, as a, as a, <laughs> my whole thing, you know, so uh, probably uh, it will be, I guess, uh, I just gonna, I just need to find out. I'm sorry if I wouldn't really tell you more about this. No, it's not, <laughs> no that's, it's not, that's an opportunity. That's an Absolutely. opportunity. Yep. Gabriel, can you ask Jose the same question? 
José, eh, una pregunta antes de cerrar. Estamos celebrando ya verdaderamente. Menciona, eh, por favor, comparte con, el, con la audiencia el, un, una o un par de comidas que tú sugieras que todo el mundo en Estados Unidos deba probar comida latina y un artista o canción o género latino que tú recomiendas que la gente deba escuchar. Bueno, hablando por mi país, Venezuela, les recomiendo que prueben el tradicional plato navideño acompañado de ensalada de gallina, pan de jamón y ayaca y asado negro o pernil. Ok, eh, otra de las comidas que te puedo recomendar um, de mi país, pues el tradicional pabellón criollo, muy bueno. Eso es a base de arroz, eh, frijoles negros y carne, carne, carne y plátano, que es maduritos. Eso también sí. es muy bueno. Um, artistas, wow. La, creo que la comunidad latina tiene muchísimo muchísimo para escoger, de verdad que si algo le sobra a la comunidad latina es talento eh, Venezuela tiene mucho talento y los demás países también lo tienen así que sería muy difícil para mí recomendarte a un artista porque realmente hay mucho talento en Latinoamérica hay mucho, mucho talento, hay mucho, mucha madera y, y yo creo que que, que recomendarte uno sería desmeritar el, el trabajo que hacen los demás y yo creo que todos son muy buenos, de acuerdo al gusto musical de cada quien. Creo que hay mucho talento para exportar en Latinoamérica y creo que es básicamente lo que puedo decir por ahora. Okay. So as obviously from Venezuela, I will highly recommend the typical uh, Christmas dish from Venezuela, which is made of an ayaca, which is similar to a tamal. Um, it has chicken salad and our, our traditional bread with ham. So it's a bread filled with, with ham. And uh, also a typical pavilion Venezuelan dish, which has rice and beans, meat, and uh, plantains. As far as music, uh, there's so much talent in Latin America, and there's so much potential that I don't think I would be able to recommend a single artist or genre. Uh, I, I would invite you to listen to a little bit of everything because Latin America is full of talent and, and everyone has something great to give to the artistic world. Beautiful. Byron, do we have anyone waiting in the wings? I do not see any hands raised, and I'm just looking at the list here to see if anyone has not spoken. Um, I do see uh, Tonia is here, but uh, her hand is not raised. So other than that, nope. All right, Gabe, Gabriel, introduce our musical piece, and then we'll come back and get some final thoughts on Hispanic Heritage Month. Okay, so um, fortunately, I think Nancy had some difficulties. Nancy is also from Venezuela. She's a very, very good friend of mine since 2005. She's, uh, um, she's done so much in her life. Uh, one of the you know, chief among her projects has been singing, and she featured this song, uh, which is a cover of Jose Feliciano's El Ciego, which is uh, the blind person. And uh, she featured this song in uh, Vocal Magic, which is an album that was co-produced uh, by, a, by, um, by a big um, studio, recording studio here in Miami to celebrate the 75th anniversary of the Miami Lighthouse for the Blind. And this was the last piece, like I said, a cover of Jose Feliciano, who is also a blind Latin American singer, uh, very famous in our community. Uh, it is a cover by Nancy and uh, her group back in the day. Um, and it's called El Ciego, the blind person. 
All right, and it's track number 13, correct? Correct. Okay. Let's do it. Visto cómo pierde su alegría, una fuente ya vacía, cuando el agua le faltó, es la cosa más triste de este mundo, y así me siento yo, por ti, solo por ti, no escuches el lamento de la cuando ven con amargura y que su nido se perdió Es la cosa más triste de este mundo Y así me siento yo por ti, solo por ti Es cuando un ciego se enamora Pues el día está muriendo y la noche le llegó Es la cosa más triste de este mundo Y así me siento yo por ti, solo por ti Triste no es poder compartir contigo Ver correr el agua, salir el sol Caer la luna, qué triste amor mío, sin ti mi corazón no palpita. No mires cuando un ciego se enamora, cuando quiere ver la aurora, como se pone a llorar y ni mires cómo sufre. Le llegó Es la cosa Más triste De este mundo Y así me siento Yo Por ti Solo por ti Nancy, when you get a chance to listen to this, thank you so much for sharing 
that beautiful piece. I heard the moon, I heard the world, I heard sight, I heard only. So I, as I self-proclaimed <laughs> Gringo, can you give us just a little bit about the story? What is she actually singing about in that song? Well, it's kind of making a little bit of a correlation of being a blind person in love. And, um, and you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, uh, it has its sad moments we're saying you know that uh it's it's sometimes sad when you have no one to share uh a sunset or the racing of the moon um and you know basically uh. it's kind of an analogy of what of what it is to not have sight versus not having you dedicated to that blind person i mean to not to that blind to that loved one who probably you can't have or who you're separated from so it's basically comparing you know not having you is you know, almost compared to not having sight and not being able to share a sunset. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you, Nancy. When you get a chance to listen to this, we're so very grateful that you let us share your music. So Hispanic, Hispanic Heritage, let's, um, let's give everyone a chance to give a final thought. Um, and we'll start with you, Gabriel. Well, like we said earlier, uh, stand tall and be proud. Same goes for Hispanic and any other culture. Um, be proud of your roots and bring the best of you and who you are as a whole to uh, make our community a better place. Beautiful. Jose? Jose, un pensamiento corto y final acerca de, del orgullo hispano. Que mientras haya hispanos, no solamente en Latinoamérica, sino en todo el mundo, nunca nos vamos a, a dejar de sentir o nunca debemos dejarnos de sentir orgullosos de quiénes somos y de dónde venimos. Creo que eso es básicamente lo más importante, mantener siempre a, a fondo o, o firme, presente las raíces de dónde venimos. Whether we come from, Latin, whether we are still living in Latin America or living in any other part of the world, it is very important to always maintain firm and alive in us those roots and uh, where we come from. Stephen, um, some thoughts from you, and also tell them where they can find your podcast and your music. Sure. Um, so, yeah, um, in regards of Hispanic Heritage Month, just letting everyone, all Latinos and Hispanics that remember where you came from. You know, we are Aztecs, we are Mayans, we are Incans. We are, you know, this land is us. Um, remember where you came from. Don't forget your roots, um, even, the, even though you're in America. Um, there are going to be some hard times when it comes to um, the other side of that, um, but don't let that bring you down. You are a warrior. You are a fighter. Um, and to uh, my American friends, uh, Anglo-Americans, uh, you know, African-Americans, um, if you don't know much about Hispanics or you know, Mexican-Americans or you know, any Cuban, Colombian, Venezuelan, anybody, uh, just you know, ask questions if you want to know more. You know, we're... we're like Gabriel said earlier, I'm going to reiterate this. Um, if you come to our home, we will welcome you with, with open arms. So even if you come and ask a question, it's we're never going to take offense to it. Just come and ask and we'll answer. Um, in regards to my podcast, you can find it everywhere on all podcast streaming platforms. Um, just look up My Blind Life, um, and it's under Stephen Mike. And music, um, I only have one platform. You can find our Reverb Nation under Stephen Mike, but... Uh, in a couple of months, you will be able to find it on Amazon Music, iTunes, and, and Google Play Music. 
So yeah, and you can find me on Facebook at Stephen Mike Music. So yep, you'll find everything about me there. Thank you, and uh, Maria. Okay, I'm here. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, we are Hispanics. We are colorful. We are strong. We are brave because we took the opportunity to come and, and, and create this, you know, new, new future for ourselves, for our families. We are um, passionate. So always mm -hmm. bring back and people would pick it up immediately. Oh, you're so passionate. You're so happy. You're so this and this and that. Always don't forget that that's part of our roots. And People never forget you for those great things. Value others, respect others, you know, um, be be empathetic and be happy and try to bring the best of you and people will pick it up on that. I just, the only thing that I can say, embrace your culture, always be proud and, you know, have pride of it. And and that would be it. And not only, not only for the Hispanic, uh, you know, uh, Hispanics, but you as a person, so. Thank you. Thank you, Gabriel. Um, tell them one more time where they can find a beautiful article that you wrote and remind um, remind everybody about our earlier segment where they can find Blind LGBT Pride. Sure. So uh, my blog piece is on acbvoices.org and uh, it's called Celebremos el Mes de la Hispanidad. Let's celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month. And uh, from earlier, uh, Blind LGBT Pride International representing the intersectionality of being LGBTQ and blind or visually impaired is at blindlgbtpride.org. And stay tuned to further Sunday editions where we will have Maria and Jose back to talk about other advances and happenings in the Hispanic culture and the emergence and intersectionality of that in ACB. I wanna thank Jose, I wanna thank Maria, I wanna thank Steven, I, as always, love thanking Mr. Gabriel, but I'll thank him later in a different way. Um, <laughs> Leah, <laughs> Byron, um, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us to talk about coming out. And um, this has been another great Sunday edition. Look for another great show next Sunday. And you can find Sunday edition ACB Sunday edition in any podcast catcher. And you can find it always 1 to 3 p.m. on ACB Radio Mainstream. Have a great and beautiful week, everyone. And we will talk about White Cane Day next week. This was a great, full conversation, and I want to do White Cane justice. So we'll pick up on that next week. Thank you all. Hey, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. You've been listening to Sunday Edition with Anthony on ACB Radio Mainstream. For more information, questions, comments, feedback, suggestions, etc., please email celebration AC. That's the word celebration with the letters AC at AOL.com. Look forward to hearing from you and let's brunch again next Sunday.